kind of take that and flip it a little bit because today what I would like us to think about is not just those conference experiences where everything's great and we sing with the saints, but when we go home and we go, hmm, life's really hard. Is the Lord sheltering us in those moments? And does he want to? What might cause us as God's people to stray from abiding in the shadow of the Almighty? Because that's a question I often ask myself and in the ministry up at church from Springwood and we, we send our greetings. So there's some of the questions we face Monday through Saturday. Sundays are a wonderful blessing, but isn't it hard? Isn't our life a challenge? Do you struggle as a Christian to live in the, the joy and the peace and the fullness of your salvation? Or is it just me? Because this week I'd like for us to start off with that thought and realise that, hey, some things may even cause us to stray from the blessing, protection, provision of God. We need to see what they are so we can mark them and avoid them and not fall prey of the temptations that the devil would dearly love for us to fall over. And then see the fullness. And I would like for you to turn, please, to Romans chapter 7 with me this morning. And we'll have a look at Paul's struggle. Romans 7, and I get you to put a pin there because that's where we'll spend most of our time today. But I would like to acknowledge the verses, our key verse for our conference, and uh, just spend a moment before we get into Romans 7 and think a little bit about Paul's dilemma. Just remind ourselves that God is a God who wants to shelter us and he wants to, wants to comfort us. When you think of refuge, what do you think of? I'll give you a moment. Is it a place? Is it that quiet place away from it all? That's what I think of with, when I think of refuge and the, the cleft of the rock or the, the shadow in the wilderness, keeping safe from the, the noonday sun. Maybe it's a person. Your place of refuge might be safety in association, in relationship and fellowship with a person. A safe place, a safe person. Psalm 91 verse 2, our theme verses. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say... Of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. And we all say, Amen. But what about tomorrow? What about when everything falls apart? Do we say Amen then? Do we trust in God in the valleys? Do we trust in God beyond the conference? Because I tell you right now, I'm excited about learning and thinking about the glory of God. I'm excited about preaching through Romans 8 after we spend this morning thinking about Romans 7 because there's some wonderful blessings for us to think about as God's people and it is a great encouragement for me too. I will trust in him. I'm not talking about salvation, brethren. This is not a salvation issue today. I am speaking to saints today and I'm talking about sanctification. I'm talking about living out the truth of your salvation when everything falls apart. Because it's easy to see God's protection and provision Sundays, but maybe not so much Mondays. And I want to equip you and challenge you today with some of these thoughts. Let's pray. And I want to just meditate a little bit about the refuge that God promises to be in the Old Testament before we ask ourselves the question, what may lead us to stray from that protection? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pause and acknowledge that you are a great God, that you love us with a perfect love that your word is truth, that is life, and it ministers to our soul in precious and powerful ways. We pray that you might enable the preacher, the foolishness of preaching. Lord, I pray that your spirit might minister to our hearts today. Lord, we need you uh, each and every day, moment by moment, and we know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Your word is clear. 
We thank you that our salvation in Christ is secure because you are a God who keeps his promises. But Lord, we often grow wayward or wander in our faith and we, we sometimes turn our eyes to the world and to the flesh and even listen to the lies of the devil and find ourselves failing to enjoy, failing to abide. And salvation is sure and I appreciate and thank you so much that you're a God who gives assurance, you're a God who gives eternal life and you will never take that from your children. But Lord, I pray that you might help us to see how we may be led astray from the blessing that you long for us to enjoy. We pray that you might speak and encourage and uplift the saints today. Challenge us and equip us, for we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The refuge, the secret place, the shadow of the Almighty. If you were wandering in the wilderness, you would love the shadow of a cleft in the rock. It might make the difference between life and death. Exposure to the elements out there, you would choose to stay safely, particularly in the noonday sun, safe in the cleft. You would choose that each and every time. Why would anyone stray from that? No one would. To dwell there means to be an inhabitant of that place. The Bible here in our passage, he that dwelleth in the secret place. To live there, to stay there, for it to be home, to abide continually, to lodge, to live, to spend the night in that hiding place of God. And we do live there. We're invited by God graciously to make our home in Christ and to live in his blessing and in his comfort and in his protection and provision all the days of our life. Psalm 91 declares for us the picture of a person who has made God his confidence. And we all say, yes, I would agree that our trust or my trust is in the Most High, that he is my refuge and my fortress. Until what? Until temptation, until cancer, until infidelity, until betrayal? What is it that moves you from that place of comfort, peace, provision and rest? Because I tell you, I'm not an old saint. I'm just over 40, but I've been, minist- I've been in ministry long enough to see that any mean, any, any manner of circumstances will move a genuine saint away from this place of protection, provision and blessing. And you know it to be true too. You've probably seen it in your own life from time to time. Psalm 36 verse 7 tells us about God and his desire to shelter us. Psalm 36 7 says, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Psalm 27 5, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle he shall, shall he hide me, he shall set me up on a rock. What a privileged invitation. So what moves us from here? Let's jump over to the New Testament and remind ourselves that's the Old Testament presentation of, of God, the one who shelters, and it's only brief. But think in the New Testament, we see the fullness of that because Christ has come. He was made flesh. He was born into this world of the Virgin Mary. He took upon himself the form of flesh and he died as a sacrifice for your sin and mine to pay for this security, for this salvation. He has died and he has risen again and the Holy Spirit is here to convict men of sin, to secure believers and seal them to the day of redemption. And I'm so grateful for the security we have. Now, this is not a salvation issue. This is a sanctification issue because saints are secure and in Romans 8 we will see that that there will be nothing that can separate us from the love of God 
Nothing. Salvation is a secure issue. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Acts 14, there's no salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We're also told, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Salvation should be an issue of faith, and I trust you've trusted Christ. In Christ, we are free. In Christ, we have freedom from sin and freedom from the penalty of sin and freedom from self-centeredness and, and, and self-righteousness. We have freedom in so many ways, freedom from guilt, freedom from fear, freedom from bondage. But still, why would we wander anywhere? Why would we stray even partly from the side of Christ, from the one who loves us so? What made the prodigal son leave the protection of his father? Now, I know the prodigal son is a picture of lost things. And you might argue with me whether he's a, a, an unbeliever or whether he's a believer or not, but he strayed from his father's house. What led him to leave? The allure of the world? Yes. The pleasure of sin for a season? Doesn't that affect you and me today too? Sometimes sin and its pleasures will cause a believer to stray from the shelter that we have. We look at his story and we might wonder, what would lead him? Why would he be so arrogant and bold and audacious to demand the inheritance to be given early? Oh, he loved the idea of the world. He wanted his own life, his own way. He didn't want to follow the Father's will. He wanted his way now. Isn't that a picture of some believers? God's word says this, don't like what God says, so they find themselves straying. I've seen it. See it in church up north, I see it in churches, I see it in myself. We have this challenge, the lure of the world, it's enticement. What about the elder son? You might say, oh, he stayed under the protection and provision of his father. No, he didn't. When the younger son came home, what did the father do? He ran to him, kissed him, put a robe on him and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and threw a feast for him. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Where was the older son? Outside in the field. He'd strayed from his father's protection as well. He didn't want to rejoice. Oh, your son, right? Never done anything like that for me. The elder son in all of his self-righteousness and his legalistic form and his, he, the appearance of everything right is a better picture of independent fundamental Baptists who live in the father's house and we serve as a slave, but we have no fellowship with God who loves us. You know, you say, oh, that's a harsh thing to say. Pastor, he was, he's preaching, he's, he's on the Bible study. I'm going to preach the, the exhortation this morning. Because right. I want Christians, I want Christians, I want myself to dwell, to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I don't want anything to rob me of that. And I don't want anything to rob you of that. You say, well, there's the elder son, the younger son, who else? Well, I want us to think about Paul. Because Paul in Romans 7, as a believer, now some people might, might disagree with me on that, but I think for most of us we would agree that Romans 7 speaks of a struggle in the life of a believer, the latter part. We'll see here him say things like, what's the exact quote? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body, the body of this death? Paul was a conflicted man, a struggling man, I believe, as a newly saved Christian. I think what we see here in Romans 7, and you can hear with me read some verses, verse 14 and 15, we'll start to see the conflict that Paul expresses between the flesh, the old man, 
and the new man. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do allow, that which I do, I allow not. For that which I would, that I do not. But, that, uh, but what I hate, that I do. Paul is conflicted. Jump down to verse 24. He calls himself that wretched man who is seeking deliverance. He wants to be made right. He's, he's like he's on a merry-go-round of sin and disappointment and, and failing and guilt and frustration. And I've seen that in my life when I look in the mirror. Have you seen it in your life too? Where you try and you try and you fall and you fail and you're round and round in circles and you think to yourself, what am I missing here? Well, Romans 8 will tell us what we're missing and that's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. We're just like the older brother. We're trying to do everything that might please the Father, but we're doing it in our own flesh, in our own self-righteousness. Paul here is expressing this cycle that rotates round and round. He states the fact that there is evil present within him and he wants to do good, but there's this principle that he just can't escape. He's finding it difficult. When he talks about the law in this passage, he's talking about the law in two ways. One, in a sense of a principle like the law of gravity. Second time he uses it to speak of the law of God. He's speaking about the scriptures. Now, I reject the view that Paul is talking here about his experience as an unbeliever because he says things that are only true of believers. Unbelievers don't delight in the law after their inner man. They don't do that. Only believers do. He speaks in the present tense in the latter part of this chapter. So it's clear to me that he's speaking as a believer, but he's not a mature believer in this, this portion of his description. Because Romans 7 is a description of a life of defeat compared to Romans 8, which is a picture of the life of victory. And what we're going to look at through this part of the, the latter part of this weekend into next week is the life of victory, the shelter empowered by the Spirit of God. Because our flesh, the old man that is at work in our members, robs us of the blessing of shelter and provision where we find ourselves doing things that we ought not do, feeling the guilt and the conscience and the conviction, feeling ourselves and even sometimes warranting the disciplining hand of God. We're in this cycle and it feels like a merry-go-round, a constant battle. And we come to conference and we sing the hymns and we rejoice in the truth of the words that we sing. I want to make sure that they are our experience, not just today but tomorrow. Have a look in verse 21. There is a war going on in Paul's mind and his experience. What I want to encourage us is to move from the experience of Romans 7, which is, which is dominated by the old man's influence, over into Romans 8 and see the blessing and security that we find. Now, I'll give you a bit of a a hint of where we're going, a bit of a forward look. Into Romans 8, we're going to see justification. We'll see sanctification, we'll see adoption, we'll see glorification, and we'll see assurance. Right? There's some of the, and we're talking the glory of God and the facets of God's character as we work our way through these, these messages. There may be some overlap, but these are some of the themes that are, brought, are kind of born on the page and brought out by Paul as he describes that life empowered by the Spirit. We need to find the way to move from here to there and grow to be the mature saints that we are called to be. Romans 7.21, here Paul is speaking and he says, I find. Isn't it interesting? It's almost like, 
I find then a, a law, a principle, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. It's almost like he's, this is a, a painful discovery. It's something that he's learnt or he's found through some painful, fa painful failures. The school of hard knocks. Paul was dramatically and miraculously converted on the road to Damascus. But that didn't immediately result in a consistent life of victory over the flesh. When you got saved, did that happen to you? <laughs> did you immediately move to a consistent life of victory? No, we, we wrestle and struggle. And Paul here describes this warring in his mind and in his flesh. And we might consider it, as we see here, two combatants in battle displayed on the page. You might imagine a boxing match with one champion in the red corner and one in the blue. And firstly, I want us to think about the one in the red corner, the reigning champion, the one with the titles and the belt and all the accolades. He is the old man. He is the one who has had power and control and influence. Paul uses several terms to describe the evil within um, different nuances here, but they essentially mean the same thing. Verse 21, there's evil present within him. Verse 23 speaks of warring against uh, warring within him against the law of his mind and uh, uh, that which is the law of sin bringing his body into captivity there is a an influence there is a a champion the old man at work in paul the old man his method of operation and you say well hang on a minute when the old man crucified in the roman 6 tell us that yes but Ephesians 4 tells us that we need to put off the old man and his deeds. So his influence is still alive and at work in believers. Ephesians 4.22 tells us that we are to put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now, we, need, we know and we must know our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. And that henceforth we should not serve sin, but practically... Reckoning this to be true and putting it off takes time. Romans 6.11 tells us to reckon ourselves dead indeed under sin, but alive under God through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we don't learn this and understand it, that there is a champion at work seeking to win the battle, then we will fail. You know, the old man or the flesh operates according to a law. Have a look in verse 21, the principle, the, like the law of gravity, the law which leads us to do evil. Now, some people will look at that and say, well, that's talking about God's law, but there's a contrast here between the law mentioned in verse 21 and that which is mentioned in verse 22. It says there is a law, I think a principle, to do evil, but there is a delight in the law of God after the inward man, a contrasting law, the truth of God's law. I think Paul is using the word law ironically to say that this influence is like a law that tells me what to do. This law principle here that leads him to evil is one that, uh, that tells, uh, like speaks as though it has authority to tell him how to live, but it leads him astray. It, it points him in the wrong direction. It promises rewards if we obey, but it leads to destruction. You know, it's the, the principle that says you'll be happier if you do this. It's a lie. It's the principle that led Eve to listen to the lies of Satan who said the food is not, you know, you shall not surely die. She looked at it and she saw the tree was good for food. 
desired to be made, make one wise, and she was tempted and she ate. So the principle works. It leads to sin and leads to destruction. The old man operates according to a law here, and it is a relentless war that he wages. Verse 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. We're just focusing on the red corner. The old man, he's working according to a law, a principle, which promises blessing but leads to destruction. He's working according to that of warfare, and it's not just open warfare, it's guerrilla warfare. It's the kind of, it's not redcoats marching in formation you can spot the green valley a mile away. No, it's guerrilla warfare. It's the kind of warfare that uses snipers and landmines and friendlies disguised as combatives. It's deceptive and it's destructive. It is subtle and it is cunning and it traps us when we grow and and leads us into the ambush. And if we win one battle, what happens? There's another. It is ongoing. It wants to bring us into captivity. The old man in his influence operates according to a principle, operates according to a warfare mentality and seeking our captivity and destruction and it works, he works through our bodies. Verse 23 tells us that this law is in my members warring against the law of my mind. This principle is at work in me and though I've been saved and though I've been justified and though I've been given the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Holy Spirit to reside within and we've been given freedom from guilt and sin and shame and all of these things, yet still I'm in this body and I'm struggling with it. The old man works through our bodies, through our members. Paul laments in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We need to be careful here because we can fall into a trap. We can make a false assumption that it is only our body that is evil, but our mind is pure, right? And if that's what Paul was teaching, then he wouldn't have contradicted and, 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 and rejected that notion when he was writing to the Colossians. You know, this idea that we can sin with our body and it doesn't affect our soul. Have you ever come across that mentality? It's the mind that says, oh, God's forgiving. God will let it go. The, the body is evil anyway and it's fit for destruction. I may as well live as I please. There is another end to that pendulum swing. The pendulum swings across to asceticism where we, we might deny all of the pleasures of the body lest the evil grow. But Paul isn't stressing either of these errors. He's simply saying that the members of our body, the, the body that we have still until the day of glory, the war rages within The old man works through our members. Temptation has always been in our minds, but it appears that the body appeals to the mind. The old man operates through our bodies. The old man operates both by by strong feelings and faulty reason. He appeals to our desires. That will feel good if you do that. I've seen a number of Christians fall with the desire for pleasure. That's not consistent. If you, if you live this way, they try and the old man convinces and connives, just like Satan did with Eve, lies and faulty reason to cause us to be brought into captivity. We're in a tricky place. 
as an, and an immature Christian is going to get so overwhelmed by the reality of sin and repeat and sin and repeat and sin and repeat. Is there any hope for me? Is there any freedom? Is there any deliverance? Because the old man is so powerful. And Paul recognizes that to be true. Paul says that I can't do anything about this. It's a repeating cycle. Is there any hope? He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And in verse 25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The red corner holds the old champ, the reigning champ who works cunningly, subtly, destructive. He appeals to our bodies and our sense of faulty reason and our desire for pleasure. But in the blue corner stands the challenger who is the inner man. Paul wants to do good. You can see it. Verse 22 says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Here's our man in the blue corner the challenger. He desires right. He wants to do what's true. Yet he's fighting and facing the enemy of the old man. Paul says with his mind, he is serving the law of God in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, the, the inner man, the new man, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Clearly, Paul is talking about the mind of a saved man, a regenerated man. The inner man and his mind are desiring, and Ephesians 4 verse 24 says, and that she put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The moment you got saved, God gave you a new set of desires. I know it was true for me. There were things that I wanted to do as an unsaved man that went away the moment I got saved. New desires, desires to read the scriptures, desires to go to church, desires to spend time with God's people. They're all good, godly desires. The inner man's desires at work, but the war goes on. When you're saved, you have a new love for Christ who gave himself on the cross for you. You have a love for God's word and desire as newborn babes would desire their mother's milk. We as new believers long to be holy as Christ is holy. We hate our sin in ways that we didn't previously. We love to be with God's people and to talk about the things of God. Yet at the same time, there is an evil desire, strong desire to do evil. So the fight between the old man and the inner man rages. So what does the win look like? <laughs> what are we hoping for? Because if that's all we have and we go home now, you'll all go home going, oh, well, that's terrible. <laughs> like We're on a merry-go-round and there's no, there's no way getting off. Well, Paul cries out lamenting, but he found the answer. He says, I thank, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer here is Christ gives victory. Unbelievers don't have two natures warring against themselves and desire to do right and temptation to do wrong no that's just believers and I would say Paul here is describing the plight of an immature believer one who has not yet grown to maturity and and understands more fully the the battle between the flesh and the spirit but even as an old mature saint and I can see as I kind of glance up and look at the folks here even the old pastors they still experience the struggle that Paul's talking about here maybe not every day but they know the warring 
between the inner man and the old man. They know the temptation. Even mature saints can struggle with this from time to time. See, Paul is not calling us to a life of perfection. And he's not describing here a lack of perfection, but rather in this Romans 7, a lack of obedience and a lack of reckoning truth. Paul is not calling us to perfect sinlessness. God is not calling us to perfect sinlessness. He recognises the, the war in our members that will come in glory. In this life, I will never love God as completely as I should with all my heart, my mind, my soul and my strength. Will you? I'm looking forward to a day where the flesh is banished and I'm glorified and that'll be the natural course to love God supremely and wholly with my heart, mind, soul and strength. But in this body, that's not going to happen. Is it going to happen for you? I will never love others as much as I love myself, as though we're, even though we're called to, because we wrestle with the flesh. We will always fall short of these commands. But a lack of perfection is not the same as persistent disobedience. And Paul is calling us to move from persistently yielding and giving in to the old man and his influence and recognising that there is a different way to live. There, there is a better way. There is a power to deliver us in that process of sanctification, there is a power available by the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. You know, we struggle and we fall, but as new creatures in Christ, we can choose to love God by spending time with Him each day and in His Word. We can choose to love our wives and our children. We can choose to follow in obedience to the Scriptures. We want to obey consistently even if it cannot be perfect. It's the irony, there is irony in the Christian life, and that is this, pardon me. The more we walk in righteousness, the more we see, more of our sin we see. Have you noticed that? I thought I was much better Christian when I first got saved. And as the years go by, I realise how badly I do that. And the years go by, and it seems to be the case. The irony is, that the Spirit illuminates and shows me things in the time that I need to be able to address them and bring them into these thoughts captive and bring them into submission and bring them to the foot of the cross. The irony is the more we walk in obedience and grow in the, the light of His presence and shelter under the, the, the shadow of the Almighty, we still wrestle with this. We see more and more of our shortcomings and much like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, when he came face to face with the Lord, his uh, response was that he, woe unto me for I am undone, right? And that seems to be the case more and more. Paul's jubilant exclamation here in verse 25 really should be followed by something other than, you know, the battle continues. After he says here, I thank God, there's an answer. There's an answer for this conflict and this struggle and this failing and this, this just this exposure to the flesh and the temptations and the pressure of the world. There's an answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. And you think, well, that's good. But he still says, but with the flesh, the law of sin, present tense. I mean, Paul, even after recognizing that there's a way, he recognizes the battle continues. The struggle of sin is a lifelong one. The war 
within chapter 7 is a battle of defeat. Persistent defeat, pictured here in the page. You can see it, you can study it, you can meditate in it, you'll see. But chapter 8 pictures triumph. Triumph, victory, even in the midst of severe trials. And by God's grace, that's our goal, to put into practice the truth that Paul embraced, to meditate on the reality of the provision we have in Christ, the wonder of our justification. We are, that there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. All of the guilt of Romans 7, bring that to Romans 8 verse 1 and let it go. That's a nice place to be. Then there is the power to walk in a way that pleases God as we walk in the Spirit. Then there is the blessing of adoption. Adoption's a wonderful picture, isn't it? I don't know any folks here that maybe have adopted children, like literally. We've seen it from time to time. And it is a remarkable mark of love, isn't it? A welcoming someone into your household and treating them as your own. God would do that for us that we may cry out to him, Abba, Father. There is consistent provision, care without failing, because if this God who does these things for us is for us, then who can stand against us? Chapter 8 is a book that begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation, and in the midst of it there is no defeat. Problems with Christians that I've found, and I think I'm probably... The problem with me, let's just say that, lest you all take offence problem with me is that there's not enough despairing over sin. There's just not enough despairing over a lack of intimate, vibrant, close connection with Christ. There's just not enough frustration. I haven't said, oh, wretched man that I am, like Paul does, until studying through some of these things this time. I don't think we do that often enough. We kind of justify sin. We say, oh, yeah, everyone struggles. Does that make it normal and right for us? Well, I think that's normal and, and kind of inescapable for an immature believer. But for a believer who loves the Lord, that should be less and less the story and we should be more in Romans 8. I think one of the reasons we stay in places like Romans 7 and we might stay outside of that place of protection, provision and care is because we just don't care. <laughs> We don't maybe know any better and we just kind of go through our lives without thinking about it. We sing the hymns. We might read our Bible for a little bit in the morning and we, we might witness to people if the Lord opens the door of opportunity. But the reality is the Spirit of God isn't moving through us as I think God wants to. Because I don't see a lot of Christians abiding, dwelling, living under the shadow of the Almighty. You say, oh, that sounds harsh. Sorry, I don't see me doing it very much. And I want to. I want to be Romans 8 Christian. Not a, woe is me. <laughs> a wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who will move me from here to somewhere better? And it's not just a hope of glory one day. I want to see the Spirit of God moving in me today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, until... He comes home for his children. The war within robs immature believers of the sweetness of fellowship. 
that's actually a fairly profound. The war within robs immature believers of the sweetness of fellowship with their Saviour. That closeness, that fellowship, that time in prayer where the clock just keeps rolling and you don't realise it, the time in the Word where you're just there meditating and communing with Christ. I've had those experiences. You have? Do you have them every day? Me neither. Do I want them every day? You bet I do. So what is it? Well, I think we're stuck in a works mentality, a self-righteous mentality. I do this and I do this and then I'll be blessed. We get stuck in this way of thinking and we, we don't move beyond Romans 7, O wretched man that I am. The guilt burdens our shoulders and, and bows us down. Where Christ says, no, no, there's no condemnation to those of us that are in Christ, that walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That's where we're going to go. Uh, through the six messages, now five messages that I have to preach. And we're going to jump into Romans 8 next time and get out of the, the discouragement and have a look at Paul's answer to his, his lamenting cry. And we'll follow his meditative thoughts, not, not a lot of new stuff. Paul repeats things and he, he brings things to the page that we would probably know already. But in doing so, he compiles what has been called the greatest chapter in the Scriptures with good reason. It is a multifaceted jewel which you can just look at and study and think about. And it's not without its challenges, interpretation and, and understanding. There's some challenges there, but it is a worthy study. And that's our goal over the next three or four days, studying and considering Romans 8, the life in the Spirit, to motivate us, to maybe even challenge us to say, hey, am I, am I in Romans 7 or am I in Romans 8? Where am I? Where do I want to be? And, and Lord willing, we'll see how to move from one to the other. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our brief time in the Word today. We pray that you might encourage and help us as we seek to, to live faithfully and, and live carefully. Uh, help us not to stray from the shelter that you've provided for us in Christ. Help us not to be content with mediocre Christianity. Help us not to delight in the singing of the hymns of praise amongst the saints today and then go home to discouragement, bitterness, resentment, anger, uh, temptation, lust, coveting, all of these things tomorrow. Lord, I pray that you might help us to be freed from the, the ongoing influence of the old man. Help us to put to death the old man. Reckon him to be, reckon him to be dead and then to, to put off in our members the things concerning the old man, that we might walk in the Spirit, that we might enjoy the vibrant inner man empowered by the Spirit, serving you, enjoying you, praising you, loving you. Lord, we pray that you might work in our hearts through the conference for your praise, honour and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.